be great to keep your Bible open as we look at this passage together. Let me pray for us now. Dear Lord, as we talk this morning about what it means to support others, I pray that you will give us eyes to see uh, the needs around us, both within our church community and within our Shell Harbour community. And I pray that uh, through your word, through your spirit, uh, that you convict us of what each of us can do uh, in your service. We pray for these things in the Son's name. Amen. Over the last three weeks, we've been answering the question, what are we about as God's church? We've been working our way through our four purpose statements, which hopefully you've heard so much at this stage that they're just sort of imprinted on your brain. Uh, but loving Jesus, growing together, speaking the good news, and today our focus will be on supporting others. And so each of these statements are in our language, uh, but they're all about uh, following Christ and seeking to be faithful to his purpose for us. And so to use a car metaphor, uh, we want to be the right car travelling in the right direction. And for those who are more visually inclined of my own personal entertainment, we want to look more like that, and we want to look less like that. So it's an incredible picture. Uh, but it starts with loving Jesus and knowing that we are loved. And with that comes an inexpressible and glorious joy that's bigger than just our particular circumstances. And when we love Jesus, of course, we want to see other people grow in their love for Jesus. And if what we've got is good news, then we want to share that good news, not just within our church family, but to our entire community. Uh, this isn't just a nice comfort to have as part of a well-balanced life. The good news completely redefines what it means to have life and our hope for eternity. And so finally, uh, in our series, God is calling us to support others. Uh, so let me start with a, a bit of a working definition. Uh, supporting others is about living out our faith by helping people in need, uh, both emotionally and physically, even when it doesn't have an overt gospel outcome. And for some people, including myself, that last line sets you on edge a little bit. Uh, and this is where we need a little bit of nuance in the conversation, because some churches are so committed to supporting others that the gospel is almost entirely lost. So loving Jesus, growing together, speaking the good news, are all redefined within their commitment for social welfare and social change. And it's often dressed up in the language of rights and justice. So in their version of the gospel, Jesus is the ultimate example of sacrificial love. But the purpose of that example is lost. So Jesus dying on the cross as a substitute for our sin is reduced to sort of a, a metaphor, you know, for illustrative purposes only. And let's face it, it is easier to stand on the corner and provide a meal than it is to speak the good news. The world will love us for providing meals. They will hate us for speaking the good news. 
And it's easy, isn't it, to challenge institutions or societies and their failures than it is to challenge our own sin and relationship with God. But at the other end of the spectrum, we potentially have churches which are so committed to speaking the good news and perhaps to supporting others within our church community that we have no sense of love for the society and the community around us. I think when that happens, we've also lost a Christian perspective. That it's not either or, it's both. And so today we want to look what the Bible has to say about supporting others, but with a particular emphasis, not exclusively, but a particular emphasis on what does it mean to support others in our Shell Harbour community, beyond simply our church community. And so we're going to use our the story of the what we call the Good Samaritan as a case study. And I've chosen this particular passage because the focus is on the outsider. Uh, so many of the passages in the New Testament do focus on how we are to love each other as Christians, uh, but this one has a very particular focus that's broader than that. And so in our passage, a Jewish expert of the law comes to Jesus with a genuinely good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life. And on this occasion, uh, Jesus puts it back to this man. What's written in the law? He replies, how do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. So his reply is this great summary of the entire Old Testament. He's picking up two particular passages, one from Deuteronomy 6 and the other from Leviticus 19. So God calls us to love him with everything we've got, with every fibre of our being. It's not just an intellectual exercise, uh, but equally it's not simply just an emotional exercise. Our Christian love for God, our desire to express that love, should then overflow into how we love others, how we love our neighbour. But it starts grounding our love for God. So it's a combination of everything coming together into a place of complete clarity, isn't it? Understanding who we are before God, understanding what does it mean to be human in this life. And that sort of clarity only comes when God opens our eyes to it. And to give this expert of the law every credit, he replies with a good answer, doesn't he? It's a, it's a good response. But he's an expert in the law, so he also likes to look for some loopholes. But he wanted to justify himself, verse 29. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? It's not a particularly generous question, is it? Yeah, it's kind of like, what's the absolute bare minimum I need to do to my fellow human being? What's the lowest denominator, common denominator that I can get away with? But it is actually still a relevant question because the passage in Leviticus was about how Jewish people treated Jewish people. So to put the verse in context, uh, verse 18 in Leviticus, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone amongst your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. So the temptation for our expert in the law, and perhaps for us, is to hear these words about loving your neighbour, but then try to limit our sense of obligation. 
you know, it only applies to the people in our church family. Or perhaps we narrow it down even further, it only applies to people in our church family who we like or who do good things for us. That's the temptation. And so in reply, Jesus tells them this parable about a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And given the context, everyone kind of assumes and would know that this man is a Jewish man. So we're talking about him. And as he travels along, he's set upon by these robbers uh, who beat him to an inch of his life, strip him bare, and leave him completely destitute. So there is no you know, sense of doubt that this is a man in need. If anyone qualifies, this bloke qualifies for help. And fortunately for him, a priest comes along. So he's a man who's committed to God's law, committed to doing good and honouring God. But instead of helping, what does he do? He crosses to the other side of the road and continues on his way. And then we have another God-fearing man who comes along, a Levite. So he's part of the tribe, the Israelite tribes, who served in the temples and in the local synagogues. So again, as you hear this story, you think, ah, surely this bloke, he would stop because he's a good bloke. But what does he do? Well, instead of helping, he passes by. And so here we have these two upstanding Jewish citizens who knew God's expectation and yet chose to ignore it. And if it was a true story rather than a parable, then I'm sure they would have very, very good and pious reasons for why they chose to neglect their duty. And so now we come to a Samaritan who's uh, making the same journey, travelling from Jericho to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, particularly for a Jewish audience, you don't like where this parable's going. Uh, so the Jewish people, they were the, you know, the pure blood people of God. They were faithful to God's law. They were obedient uh, in comparison to the Samaritans. So the Samaritans were the former northern kingdom. They used to be uh, ten tribes of Israel uh, who have now sort of become the mudbloods. Uh, they've forsaken their heritage. They've forsaken their worship of God. And so now in this story, the Samaritan becomes the hero. And so for those listening, for a Jewish audience listening, this is a pretty offensive story. But the Samaritan, he sees the man half dead on the side of the road, and he has mercy on him. So he tends his wounds, he puts him on a donkey, he then takes him to an inn. And then he doesn't just you know, make sure that the inn looks after him, he stays there, and then he offers to pay for the man to continue to be looked after. And if the cost of looking after him is too much then he will come back and he will pay even more. You know, by any cultural standard, you know, this guy is an exceptional example. This parable is supposed to be about who is my neighbour. But it's also a good example of what a neighbour looks like. Uh, it's not convenient, is it? Uh, it came at a genuine cost to this man's life, not only in terms of whatever he planned to do, but there's a genuine financial cost to this type of mercy and generosity. And it's not just about doing the bare minimum. It's about going above and beyond for the sake of the other. 
There's no scope or limit to the scope of His mercy. There's no convenient fine print or exemptions. It's not less than showing mercy to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but it is more. And so in the words of Galatians 6, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And in the words of Jesus from Matthew, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. There are no limitations to who we should love and how we should love. And so Jesus finishes the parable by turning to the expert in the law and he says, so which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? And you can imagine this expert in the law, he does not want to say the word Samaritan. That's the last thing on earth he wants to say. But he does concede the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. One church wants to say we're all about supporting others. Another church wants to say we're all about speaking the good news. Uh, we want to be about both, don't we? You know, when Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, he still recognised people in their moment of need. And this life is still valuable in God's purposes and plans. And he doesn't draw a separation between speaking and supporting and loving and showing mercy. Those two things go hand in hand. And so that's what we want for our church. Uh, so let me give two examples. One is toddler time. And so toddler time meets each week and its goal is to support uh, young families, uh, so families with young children. And uh, we provide that support in an environment that is clearly and unashamedly Christian. So we want to create a fun space, a safe space, but every week there's also an opportunity for the adults to sit down and to talk about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. And for some in that room, they're, they're Christians and they're talking about that from that perspective. Uh, for many, they're in the room, they're, they're not Christians or they're thinking about it for the first time. We don't have to do one or the other. We unashamedly do both. And we're clear about that. Uh, this week, uh, we're coming up to uh, the beginning of our mobile food pantry. Uh, the primary objective of that food pantry is to provide cheap food for families in need. Uh, it also gives us the opportunity to talk to people uh, about life and about Jesus and about faith. But if we do this for the next two years, and as a result... No one comes to Christ. Do you know what we'll do? We will keep doing it. Uh, because we want to continue to show the love of Christ to these people. So as long as we are able, as long as there is a need, uh, we will keep going. We, want, we can't decide the outcomes. Ultimately, God will decide those things. But our task in this particular context is to love those people in need. But supporting others is bigger than just our organised structures. I think a couple of weeks ago I was talking about how do we use our gifts uh, to serve uh, and grow the body of Christ. And I think out of that, uh, one thing I failed to communicate effectively was that using our gifts is more than just working in our structures. So our structures do support ministry. 
but they shouldn't limit our ministry. Simply because you don't have a title of leader, helper, coordinator, or something like that, or sit on a committee, does not limit your capacity to serve and love and support other people. There are so many opportunities every week to love and support those people around us. And lots of things are going on every week. You know, lots of, you know, during the week, we've got lots of people meeting with lots of people. Uh, lots of phone calls are going on just to say, how are you going? We have people loving their neighbours with simple things like mowing the lawn or changing a tap washer or driving someone to the shops each week to do their groceries. But I just continue to encourage you in those things and to continue to see them as valuable. That our church life together is, is, we have structures and they're helpful, but it's, it's more organic than that. It's messier than that. It's a family. And so there are all sorts of other good opportunities. I'd encourage you to have eyes open to see those opportunities. Now, we don't always need permission to do stuff. If there is a need and you have the giftedness, then take the opportunity. But it's hard, isn't it? Because I tend to be more neighbourly uh, to people who appreciate what I do. And I tend to be less neighbourly when people aren't appreciative. Uh, but the challenge from this passage is to support people and to love people whether they reciprocate that or not. Whether they've done something good for us or not. Our task is to simply support and love them. And sometimes our neighbourliness is going to be exploited or treated with a sense of entitlement. Uh, people will come to me sometimes, sometimes and say, you're the church, so you should give me money. Uh, that's that's going to happen. It does happen. Uh, that's hard, and no one likes to be taken for granted. But even then, we love them and we support them as an expression of our love for Christ and God's given love for them. And so with God's help, we pray that we can actually live that out. It's not necessarily a sentimental love, but it is a desire for their good. So the aim of this series has been uh, to ground our four purpose statements in the words of Scripture. So we're not just making this stuff up. We didn't just go, I like those icons and they're nice words. Uh, we go, what does the Scripture say to us? And then how do we put that into our language? But I hope it also achieves some clarity around what each statement means for us. So we have a common understanding and a common expectation together. Now, organisations and churches are known for spending a notorious amount of time on things like purpose statements and vision statements and mission. And they've always got diagrams, and I'm reasonably sure a shuttle could take off with less arrows than those diagrams. They're always more complicated than you could possibly imagine. And being organised is not a bad thing. And I do love a good Google spreadsheet. And you, all the leadership team know that. But uh, we want to make sure that all of that, it's not just good to have a good plan or a clear purpose. We need to make sure that we actually implement that purpose. We need to take all this good stuff we're talking about and then put it into practice. And that means two things. Uh, I've been getting into gardening a bit lately. Uh, for those who are starting out, uh, my lesson number one is weed killer. 
doesn't just kill weeds. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, but lesson number two uh, when it comes to gardening is you need to do two things. You, you need to nurture the good. So you have lots of fertiliser and stuff like that. Water, apparently. Uh, but also, you need to deal with the bad. And you can't have one without the other. You can't just go, I want the pretty bits, but I don't want to do the weeding. You've got to do both. And the longer you leave those weeds, the more they grow. But if we're really going to honour God with our gifts, if we are going to serve in God's purposes, then we need to do everything in our power, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, to nurture those four statements, those four scriptural principles. And just as importantly, uh, we need to generously, graciously, compassionately rip out those sinful, destructive behaviours that leave us personally and collectively stunted and inefficient. And that doesn't start with pointing the finger at anyone else. That starts with looking at ourselves. That starts with looking at our own attitudes and behaviours. And if we need to repent, then let's repent. And if we need to ask for forgiveness, then let's ask for forgiveness. And if we need to forgive, let's forgive. But if we actually implement our purpose, nurturing the good, ripping out the bad, then we will be a testament to God's glory. And we will make a difference in individual lives, collectively, for people for eternity. And that's really what we want, isn't it? This is bigger than just us. It's bigger than just our comfort. It's about seeing God glorified and seeing Him do incredible things through our humble efforts. So let's pray that that's true for us.